Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with the Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back to break down everything that happened Wednesday night on AEW Dynamite and NXT. We have an absolutely loaded show ahead where we are going to do just that. Now, before we get into today's show, a couple reminders for you, not the typical ones that we always talk about. Number one, go back and listen to our Tuesday episode of Getting Over, where we recap the entire WWE draft and look at the new rosters for Raw and SmackDown as both shows begin their new seasons starting this Friday night. Also, I wanted to provide a little bit of an update for those of you who have contributed financially to the show. Uh, Over the last couple of months, obviously, we did a very short period of time where I was asking for those donations. Um, Hopefully, you guys have noticed improved sound quality on this show. Not only have the microphone setups uh, improved, the soundboard, I was able to step that up as well. But we use a new recording service for the last couple of WWE episodes with myself and Chris Vanini. So hopefully you guys are hearing higher quality audio there. And certainly for these episodes, the ones that I do myself, the sound should be better than it ever has been before, at least over the last month or so. So I hope everyone is noticing that the contributions you made have legitimately made a difference to the quality of this show. But part of you guys donating to the show there were some strings attached to that. The Silver King promised that there would be rewards for certain individuals. And guess what? That is what the Silver King and the Getting Over Wrestling podcast are going to deliver. Plans are currently in place right now for all of those rewards, special shows, all of that stuff to go down approximately around the holiday season. So late November into December. The month of December will end up being our 100th episode, which currently plans are to make that very special. It's going to be early in the month. The Silver King is also going to have another special episode that should pop some longtime listeners of mine. I'm also setting up a ton of interviews, but I also am going to make sure that many of you are going to be able to contribute in some way to the show. So there's going to be a couple thematic episodes, maybe one where we debate one wrestler versus another, or maybe we go down a laundry list of the hottest topics in professional wrestling history and discuss those. There's going to be some fan feedback. There's going to be probably a live show, live chat type of scenario for those who contributed. We'll be able to join in on that show where others can simply be there and chat or listen along. So the point is, I don't know exactly what all of these elements are going to be, but I have not forgotten Life has gotten in the way. Real life work has gotten in the way. But all of this is going to transpire and it's all going to happen before the end of the year. So thanks once again to everyone who contributed during that short period of time. Hopefully you noticed the show is better than it has ever been. The numbers certainly are saying that. The numbers that aren't necessarily saying that because the reviews have slowed down. There's still five stars. Don't get me wrong. This show, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, is all about the five, but the number of reviews that we're getting on a weekly basis has slowed down. So if you have not already, don't be lazy. Don't be the Orange Cassidy of our listening viewership. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the damn show. Go ahead and tell us things you want to hear on the show whether it's a pay-per-view rewind or different types of segments, but do whatever you want to do 
as long as it's all about the five on Apple Podcasts. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet every single time the show is live, but we also live tweet during Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite, as well as any pay-per-views that we happen to be watching. We also send cool interviews, GIFs, and videos throughout the week, things that we think you might care about as wrestling fans. We tweet about news as well. It's a really good wrestling account to follow. So if you are not already, go ahead and follow us. And by the way, it is the best possible way to send DM slides and questions for the show. You can direct message message us. The DMs are open. You can tweet us directly. Or by the way, if you don't have Twitter, but you want to send in questions weekly, you can do so getting over pod at gmail.com. So you have all of these methods of contacting the Silver King and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and I hope you take advantage of them. But what today's show is about is the Wednesday Night Wars, AEW Dynamite and NXT. And there was a ton that happened this past Wednesday, as basically there always is. Now, this Wednesday was a little unique because AEW really went hard, right? They had their one-year anniversary episode of Dynamite, where NXT... I don't want to necessarily say they mailed it in, but they did not try to compete with the one-year anniversary of Dynamite. So say what you will about that decision. I think it was a good one because, hey, they have Halloween Havoc coming up in a couple weeks, and I'm going to be kind of curious to see if AEW tries to go strong and and counter-program that show, or if maybe some respect given to the one-year anniversary is also given to the Halloween Havoc episode. Maybe we're headed in a new direction in these Wednesday Night Wars. We will find out. But because this was the AEW one-year anniversary of Dynamite, I think this week we absolutely have to start with AEW Dynamite. And by the way, if you are someone who doesn't watch AEW or you don't watch NXT, every single Getting Over episode, whether it's a WWE show, a Wednesday Night War show, an instant analysis, whatever the case, we have descriptions that are pretty detailed with timestamps for the major sections. So you can always bounce around if there's something that you just don't want to listen to. But we're going to kick it off with AEW Dynamite, and we are going to start in the main event where Jon Moxley, the AEW champion, defeated Lance Archer in a no-disqualification match. I always enjoy a good pre-match attack, and I like that they did that both early in the show and then in the middle of the show, as it provided a way to promote the main event without just doing the typical promos, really, that they already did the week prior. It also gave them a reason to create the no disqualification stipulation, which I assume is needed with these guys when they fight because they never have anything close to a normal match. So considering all the things they did, to say that would have been a normal match wouldn't have made much sense in kayfabe. I loved the start of the match, Moxley hitting the paradigm shift for a full two count right off the bat. And then there was no surprise really that this got hardcore pretty quickly with chairs, a trash can, two tables at ringside. Moxley hit a paradigm shift into that. But after he hit that, he rolled Lance Archer into the ring, hit another paradigm shift, and then got the same two count that he got at the beginning of the match. So that didn't necessarily make that much sense to me. Archer comes back, hits the blackout, but Moxley shocks him because when he kicks out at two, he rolls him into a crucifix for the pinfall to remain the AEW champion. This kept Archer looking strong by him not losing with a finisher, but it did allow Moxley to keep the title. So that probably was the only way that this match ultimately could be booked. The end goal had to be John Moxley retaining the title. It would have been not only too early for him to lose the title, but dropping it to Archer, 
He just doesn't feel like he's ready for it, even with the way AEW has built him. So this was a good main event. And Eddie Kingston, he was on commentary the entire time. He did a great job, not only telling his own story, but needling the other announcers. It was funny. The Lucha Bros, after the match, kind of saved Moxley because Archer was attacking him. Then Kingston came into the ring, faked out Moxley celebrating, only to hit him with a uh, back fist and then a rear naked choke. Kingston cut a great promo as the show went off the air. And it seems to me, because Kingston is so adamant that he did not submit to Moxley's chokehold, which I don't think it has a finisher name. And if it does, someone please tell me. But I just, I've never heard them say a name for Moxley's triangle choke or whatever the case, whatever it is. But I think we're headed towards an I quit match. Kingston, Moxley, I quit at full gear in a couple of weeks. That is my guess to where this is going. I think that's good booking. Kingston, Moxley, the first match was really good. And certainly I would be excited to see another one. One thing I couldn't help but think while watching this match was that we're going to go ahead and wind up seeing Dave Meltzer give this like 4.5 stars or something where he probably won't even rate the Biggie Sheamus match from SmackDown. And I'm not necessarily saying that match was as good as this one because they were actually quite different, but it was an extremely entertaining hardcore match on live television. And many of you saw my tweet last week that Dave Meltzer rated the Finn Balor-Kyle O'Reilly match the same as the freaking dog collar match. So that's just kind of where this is coming from. Like, I can't wait to see him give this one a rating and not the Biggie Sheamus match when they really were not that different. And honestly, from a quality standpoint, pretty similar, though I do think Moxley Archer was slightly better. All right, let's move on, talk the rest of what happened on the one-year anniversary of Dynamite. We had a tag team match for the opener, FTR, uh, defeating best friends to retain their titles. There's no surprise this was a well-wrestled match, especially for an opener, but it all ended pretty quickly when Trent got thrown into the silly fake arcade machine that was a ways off from ringside that Kip Sabian was playing. Not, Not only was that bad, but the referee ducked for no reason during the finish so FTR could use the physical belt for the win. The entire finish ruined what was otherwise a pretty good match. There was a similar finish in an NXT match that we'll discuss later, but it was done far better and made complete storyline sense. I think I'm getting to the point where I'm actively disliking this referee, Rich Knox. He screws stuff up all the time. All of his tag team matches basically don't have any rules. He doesn't enforce anything. I know the referee only plays so much of a role in kayfabe, but nevertheless, it's almost chaotic every single time he referees a tag match. And he's just distracting to me every time he's in the ring. So he was a big referee signing for them, if you want to say that, use that phrase. But to me, he's basically their worst referee or one of their two worst referees. So every time I see him in a match, I kind of like roll my eyes. And, and I don't mean to hate on the guy because I'm sure he's a good person. And I'm sure that he is, you know, talented at what he does in general from like helping the match progress and working with all the talent. But in the ring, I don't really love what I see from him. So then after the match, we finally see Miro be dominant. He's angry that Trent was thrown into the fake arcade machine, comes through, beats up the best friends. I didn't even catch the name of the other challenger in the match, but Miro and Kip Sabian defeated Sean Maluda and another dude who I'm not even sure who he was. Uh, This was just so ridiculously corny for me. I hate what they're doing with Miro so far. Forget even the idea that he's a gamer and that he's the best man. The best man gimmick is actually good. 
So the idea of him being the best man, a la Mr. Perfect, a la Bianca Belair being the EST, right? They're all very similar. They need to be leaning into that side of it. But this whole stuff with the video games and Miro, like being a a comedy character, basically, this is a dominant wrestler. Everyone, when they were talking about, hey, Miro needs to get the hell out of WWE, we, you know, Rusev needs to leave. He's underbooked and he's treated like crap. I mean, this is the same shit. It's honestly worse in some respects because at least in WWE, Miro was consistently dominant. So I just don't like it at all. And I think anyone who thinks this is good is truly biased, is an AEW apologist. This stuff with Miro is straight garbage. Zero point zero. Now, what is not garbage is MJF. MJF wants to join the inner circle. This started so good with MJF telling fans they were off key, giving Sammy Guevara the jacket that was way too big for him before Chris Jericho told him to basically cut the shit and just get on with what he was trying to say. MJF just kept shooting awesome one-liners here, there, every direction. I was thoroughly entertained, even with how he asked Jericho to ultimately join the inner circle. Jericho said they needed some time to discuss it, and that was better than him answering on the spot, obviously, because now you get to drag it over another week or two. But the best part of this entire segment was Jericho asking MJF to a steak dinner like he was challenging him to a match. How about next week, you and I meet up one-on-one for a steak dinner? So let me get this straight, Chris. You want to eat steak? I've never wanted anything more in my entire life. Just great, right? Hysterical stuff. And we got a new sound drop for the show on top of it because we eat steak on this damn podcast. We are all about the meat and very excited uh, to have that as a new sound drop. We actually got two new sound drops from this segment. Chris, you want me to keep it real? I can keep it real, homie. So now we got two from MJF right there and Chris Jericho. I think that gives us three MJF already. So, you know, look, AEW, I need more of those. Granted, the sound drops on the show. But between MJF and Jericho, I think that's where they're all going to come from at this point. Um, Great stuff. Hysterical segment. And it got followed up by another hysterical segment. Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone at the massage parlor. This was also hysterical. Baker freaking out that Schiavone was naked under his towel. Both of them um, waxing Schiavone's chest telling him to cover up while he's getting a pedicure. The entire thing with them, the dynamic is great. Shivani played his part so well. The idea that he has Stockholm Syndrome because he's basically getting verbally and mentally abused by Britt Baker. It's just really good stuff. So I appreciate that. And it's one of my favorite parts of Dynamite, honestly. But I did think the Inner Circle MJF segment was the best thing on Dynamite, period, and probably the best individual segment on either show on a Wednesday night. I did think NXT had some standout moments, but MJF and Jericho, they're absolute gold together, and I am excited to see where this storyline goes. We also had the TNT Championship, Cody defeating Orange Cassidy, and this match did absolutely nothing for me. I didn't like the booking last week, and I know a lot of you agreed with that, so even though I thought that might be a controversial opinion, I was glad to see so many people support it. Uh, And this week did nothing to improve it, especially with the Dark Order running down and interrupting the flow of the match early on. 
OC did hit a big move, that beach break on the ring apron. That was a great spot, but it never actually felt like Cody was in any danger of losing. The draw was a weak piece of booking to avoid the criticism I gave last week because it would have made no sense for Cody to win or Orange Cassidy to win. So they just make it a draw. And now Orange Cassidy is going to get another opportunity two weeks from now. So like, what? Are, so now he's going to have three TNT title matches in about five weeks and he's going to lose or draw all of them, presumably, right? It just, it, it really is annoying me. They also announced during the match that Darby Allen would get to face the winner at full gear, which is fine, except they just announced the other TNT title match between Cody and Orange Cassidy in between. So he's not going to be facing the winner of that match. He's going to be facing the winner of the match two weeks from now. And what's the point of having a time limit draw if you're just then going to go ahead and do a rematch anyway? It's very WWE, and that's what they say they're not going to be. It's just the same as doing a disqualification and then the other person saying, hey, well, technically you didn't really beat me, so give me another match in a couple of weeks or a double countout or anything like that. So it's just shit booking. And again, if you're defending this, you're an apologist. It's, it's just true. It's, it's bad no matter the brand, and you have to be able to admit that. AEW is continuously painting itself into a corner with Cody and Orange Cassidy. If Cody beats Orange Cassidy and then goes on to full gear and beats Darby Allen, he's then taking down two younger talents who need to be built up. And honestly, Darby Allen could really use the TNT title. Maybe he'll lose it to Allen at full gear. But then you're hot shotting the title off of Brody Lee to Darby Allen, which he didn't really need to do. You could have just had Darby Allen beat Brody Lee and have Cody do something else when he came back. So no matter what, This feels like a lose, lose, lose situation. Of course, we will keep an open mind. We'll see what actually happens from a booking perspective. But I just, I don't know. It's not something that's working for me right now. And I am a little concerned about this booking. I do think that, look, AEW has its moments. It has really good stuff that I've already mentioned from this particular show. This is not it. We also had Matt Hardy uh, cut a promo from the crowd. His feud with Sammy Guevara, it looks like it's continuing. This whole thing was clunky. It was poorly done. I'm not sure I agree with continuing the feud, but at least we're going to ultimately get a resolution that we didn't get at the last pay-per-view. At the same time, I also feel like this feud is a little cursed. So let's hope that they do it at full gear and they end it at full gear. I would not be surprised if they go to the Hardy compound for this match. And they end up doing something cinematic here, both to kind of protect Hardy from doing anything crazy in or around the ring, while simultaneously giving it a storybook ending and maybe a reason for Sammy Guevara to lose without being hurt too much. So that's what I would hope. If they're going to do this, which it does seem like they will, let's do it at the Hardy compound. Next, they decided uh, fatal four-way competitors for a tag team championship number one contender match via a lottery. So I just don't get it. If AEW has rankings for all of its divisions, why is it doing a lottery to determine who gets to compete for the number one contendership? Shouldn't either the top-ranked team be the number one contenders, or shouldn't the top four-ranked teams be the one competing in a fatal four-way for that opportunity. So again, stupid, bad booking. I like the whole super kick gimmick with the Young Bucks when they were doing it backstage to random people and being fined, but them going into the ring and super kicking everyone in sight, it's just obvious. 
Look, I think I've been praising AEW a lot over the last couple of weeks for having really strong matches and really strong shows, but there's a lot here that's not good. And I'm not going to go ahead and tell you momentarily that NXT was great on Wednesday because it wasn't. It was a fine show. But when you come out of this AEW show, the, the stuff that really hit home and was really entertaining was Moxley and Archer, MJF joining the inner circle, or asking to join the inner circle, and Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone. Those were the three good to great moments from the show. Let's call them all great. The three great moments from the show. Everything else was good to mediocre to bad. And for a one-year anniversary episode of AEW, I was really expecting way more. Four title matches was the promotion. I was expecting this thing to be absolutely insane. You know what? They probably should have saved Miro's debut for this show rather than bring him back about a month and a half ago. So, man, I was just disappointed. So disappointed, by the way, I didn't even realize I wasn't done talking about it. We had a women's championship match. Hikaru Shida defeated Big Swole. This was fine, but Swole is still too green to be in a match like this. It tells you the state of their women's division when that's the number one contender. Shida carried her, which is to be expected, but even Shida kind of looked off a little bit during the match. The finish to this match was the best part. I did enjoy that, and I thought it was really smartly booked. But once again, one women's match on the show. It came 90 minutes in, and it was relatively short with a commercial break. I think this is the third or fourth week in a row I have said that exact same sentence. That's how they're treating women's wrestling in AEW. And it's unfortunate. Uh, I know there's a lot of people injured. We talk about it all the time. But they're not even doing storylines on the show. They're not developing anything. They're just kind of doing women's wrestling to do women's wrestling. And the truth is this. I love women's wrestling. I love it in WWE and NXT. From a couple of stardom matches that I've seen have been very good. I don't watch it. But you don't have to do women's wrestling. So maybe this is a situation where AEW cuts their losses. They're not going to because they have AEW heels and they're very heavily trying to promote diversity, even though WWE has a way more diverse roster. But maybe you just don't do women's wrestling and add a trios title or something and lean into your strengths because even when they get all of their women back, it's still not a strong women's division. But if you're not even going to try to create storylines while some of those women are out, because you do have other people who are wrestling for you. Apparently, they just signed Eva Lee to a contract. They still have Nyla Rose. We see her occasionally in the crowd. She's not even on TV wrestling squash matches. So they just don't care enough to feature the women. And if that's what you're going to do, then why have a women's division at all? It's something they should seriously consider. I'm not saying I want it. I'm saying... But again, you know, I said this about WWE on Tuesday show. Sometimes it's better just to not have something rather than have it and do it poorly. And I think that's currently the, the state of women's wrestling in AEW. So, you know, for a normal AEW episode, this would get one out of two thumbs up. It was perfectly entertaining, perfectly good. But for a one year anniversary show, I did find it a bit disappointing. I did think they maybe could have leaned back on some of their history and shown a couple clips from the year that was, done some fun things along those lines. Instead, they kind of just gave four title matches and thought that would carry the show, where in two of the title matches, you didn't really get clean finishes. One of them was sloppy, the women's match. And yeah, the main event was really good. But that's what you got from AEW Dynamite on Wednesday. 
over in NXT. Uh, Primarily, I think the biggest part of that show was setting up for Halloween Havoc in two weeks. Early in the show, you saw Johnny Gargano defeat Austin Theory in a singles match. Gargano and Candice LeRae backstage, they cut a couple quick promos that were fine. They were nothing special. Uh, But in this match, we did get another good showing for Theory here and another top tier wrestler in Gargano working hard to put Theory over despite Theory ultimately losing. I'm not sure exactly what they're doing with Theory in this role, but after Gargano gave him that respectful nod at the end of the match, I'm wondering if maybe Gargano takes Theory under his wing a little bit, the way his wife is doing to another wrestler who we'll talk about in a moment. But they just have to move in some direction with Austin Theory because it's been multiple weeks now of the exact same thing for him. A really good, somewhat long match that he ultimately loses. We also had a women's championship number one contendership, Candice LeRae defeating Shotzi Blackheart. It was strange, and again, equal opportunity criticism here. It was strange that LeRae was getting another number one contendership opportunity, considering she just faced Io Shirai and lost to her. I thought it was made clear that in NXT, they have a huge women's division. In fact, they talked about it during the show, how stacked the women's division is. Yet you're getting Candice LeRae here again as a number one contender. With this match being set up, I actually thought the winner was being made clear because I thought Shotzi Blackheart was going to win the match. Considering it's Halloween Havoc, she'd be hosting the show. They'd give her a match on the show. But that didn't happen. That said, for me, this was easily the match of the night. It was the best match on NXT. And it was as good as, from an entertainment standpoint, the John Moxley-Lance Archer match in AEW. So really great work between these two. Shotzi Blackheart got a lot of shine. Lorraine did a great job selling for her despite eventually winning when Indy Hartwell popped up from the crowd and gave her brass knuckles. We should get another banger with Io Shirai, but are we going to have a title change or is it going to be just the third time that Shirai beats Lorraine? William Regal came out later and said he would have some sort of stipulation for their match, which we will talk about momentarily. But Indy Hartwell is clearly a protege of Candice LeRae. So I do wonder, do they make Austin Theory a protege of Johnny Gargano? I think that would be an extremely interesting storyline if they went into that direction. So we're going to kind of swerve here and talk about the main event because the way this Halloween Havoc storyline developed was through the main event of NXT and what happened in the aftermath. So we'll move on to the North American Championship, Damian Priest successfully defending his title against Dexter Loomis. I didn't think working with another big guy like Priest would help speed up Loomis because this match is all about one thing. I mean, there was beef and size and mass flying in this match. Yet somehow, despite my criticism last week that I was really bored by Dexter Loomis matches because he moves so slow, Working with another big guy somehow sped him up. And I don't know, maybe it's just the action. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. That was the wrong sound drop. I was trying to go big, meaty men slapping meat. But maybe it was just the action of big, meaty men slapping meat that I enjoyed on the show. But I don't know. It worked. For some reason, I don't know. It worked. Okay. That. Sometimes I don't have answers. Damian Priest versus Dexter Loomis worked for me. Both of them were great in the match. There was good storytelling with Priest going after Loomis's uh, previously injured ankle. 
putting some serious torque on the ankle lock made it look super painful. Then Loomis shocked me with an insane kip up into a senton. And I'm like, I didn't even know you could do that, man. That's the type of shit I want to see from him. There was also a cool moment with Loomis locking Priest in the choke submission that would have basically taken out any other wrestler, except Priest is so long that he was able to reach the ropes with his length. Considering the storyline last week, I 100% expected Cameron Grimes to interfere and factor into the finish, and the cave-in on the ring apron out of nowhere behind the referee's back was a fantastic spot. Priest then hit South of Heaven for the win and retained his title. This was great booking to excuse Loomis's loss, but simultaneously give us a clean-ish finish while growing the Loomis-Grimes feud. So just as I mentioned, in AEW, you go ahead and look at the FTR match. It was pretty sloppy the way they did that. However, you move over to NXT and with the Candice LeRae, Shotzi Blackheart with the brass knuckles and the Damian Priest, Dexter Loomis with the cave-in on the ring apron, both of those were done incredibly smoothly within the flow of the match. It didn't jar you and you bought into the finish. And in Loomis's case in particular with uh, Cameron Grimes, it was part of the storyline that they developed starting last week. All of that was really good stuff. It also sets up a Loomis-Grimes feud, which will be great. And for me is definitely a match that should happen at Halloween Havoc in a couple of weeks. NXT this week, I don't know if everyone noticed it, It actually got a few minutes of overrun, which has not happened in a long time. And we got to see Gargano attack Priest from behind before laying him out with a super kick chair shot to the face. Then William Regal comes out and sets up both Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai and Johnny Gargano, Damian Priest, with both matches having stipulations that will be determined by spinning a wheel. Shotzi Blackheart kind of emerged out of nowhere with a bunch of smoke, did a demonic laugh, and they're leaning into the campiness of Halloween and the idea of Halloween Havoc, which I like. So she said she's going to spin the wheel and the matches that get landed on are the ones that they will have to wrestle. Options from that wheel look to include a casket match, buried alive match, biker's chain, boiler room brawl, Shotzi's choice, a weapons wild match, Trick or Street Fight, Blindfold Match, Chamber of Horrors, Devil's Playground, Coal Miner's Glove, and Tables, Ladders, and Stairs. So there's a lot of stipulations there that are pretty interesting. I think a lot of them, obviously, you can wipe off the board. Buried Alive, Boiler Room Brawl, Casket, they're not doing those, okay? Blindfold, they're probably not going to do. Chamber of Horrors, they probably are not going to do. So you're really left with Biker's Chain, which is something I could see happening in a Damian Priest match. Shotzi's choice, which makes sense that they're probably going to end up choosing that one for the women's match. And I wouldn't be surprised if Shotzi just inserts herself into the match as a triple threat. Weapons Wild would make sense. A street fight. Um, Devil's Playground. I'm not even sure what that is. Coal Miners match. That's a throwback match style. That would make sense. And I don't really see tables, ladders, and stairs happening either. But Within those, guess what? It provides intrigue and interest and unknown. We don't know what these matches are going to be, but we do know that we're going to have two title matches at least on the Halloween Havoc on the show. But while all of that is positive, we're in a situation where we're getting a repeat North American title match and a repeat women's match that were both just taking place at NXT TakeOver 31. So the question is, why didn't they develop new storylines 
for Halloween Havoc? Or are they did they save the finishes that we thought we were going to get on the pay-per-view for television? I don't know. And that is what I'm really curious about. But it does seem like they booked those two matches at TakeOver 31 with Halloween Havoc in mind, especially considering Halloween Havoc was announced at that show. I did think Shotzi Blackheart was going to announce that Gargano and LeRae would have to leave NXT if they lost, which would have made sense and pushed them over to the main roster, but that's not what happened. Nevertheless, this does deliver my request of taking Halloween Havoc seriously while simultaneously injecting fun into it. This is not meant historically to be a 100% serious takeover-like show. It's Halloween. It's supposed to be fun, and they're doing that, and that makes me happy. I just wish that these both were not immediate rematches. Now, the show opened with Undisputed Era defeating Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch to become number one contenders for the NXT Tag Team titles. The opening promo by Undisputed Era, it felt uneven. There was a legitimacy missing without Adam Cole there, and it will be interesting to see what their plans for the storyline are now that Ridge Holland is out. The match felt familiar considering the tag division is so thin, but was it well-wrestled? Yes, of course it was well-wrestled. Strong one. A Roderick Strong one with a flying knee. That's not even his finisher. So I thought that was a little bit weak to end the match, but there was good action. It's just something that we've seen so frequently with these two teams. The only difference was it was Strong and Bobby Fish instead of Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish as part of the team. So they've made that separation, that delineation. The question is, where does that now go from here? NXT also gave us a medical update for Finn Balor. We already knew his jaw was broken slash fractured in two places. He ended up undergoing surgery, which we did not think was a necessity at first. But now the title picture is totally up in the air. NXT says it's going to wait a few weeks to see how he heals. In the meantime, though, they need to do something to keep us interested in the main event division, for lack of a better term. And we had a listener go ahead and chime in on that. Maha Bayard at Cajun Fire, P-H-I-R-E, he writes in, uh, since the next NXT TakeOver isn't until Royal Rumble, I'm gonna correct you there, I do think they're gonna do one in December. But nevertheless, it's still a couple months away. Do you think they should do their version of the G1 Climax to find the number one contender for the NXT Championship instead of having back-to-back champions having to drop the belt? That's the answer, yes. They need to do something, whether it's a Climax-style round-robin tournament, whether it's an elimination tournament, whether it's uh, another series of triple threat matches, or I don't even know. They need to come up with something to determine a number one contender. And what you do is you schedule that match, at least in your head as NXT, for the next takeover. And what happens is if Balor is still not able to come back by that takeover, then that match is no longer for the number one contendership it becomes for the world title. But if Balor is able to be back, then you hold the number one contendership match as planned. You put Balor in a different storyline, you have him retain, and then you have those people fight at the next event or a couple weeks later on NXT television or whatever the case. But you do need to do something with the main event division in NXT right now. It's really strange because your true main eventers that are left are Finn Balor, who is the champion, not able to wrestle right now. Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano, who are, Gargano's focused on the North American title. Ciampa doesn't really have any direction as he's trying to 
figure out what he's going to do if not going after the gold. And Damian Priest is pretty much next because you called up Keith Lee and Matt Riddle got called up and Karrion Cross isn't available. But Damian Priest is your North American champion. So what do you do here? I think the only thing you do is you have Damian Priest drop the title to Johnny Gargano potentially and then move him into the main event scene because there's just a dearth of main event talent. The other option is bring someone in from the main roster for a short period of time, which would totally work. But I just don't think they're going to do that. So that's the situation that we're in right now. We're in a weird deal where there's no main event picture in NXT. The North American title is the main event picture. And that's not sustainable, not for another two months. So you need to do something to elevate people again. I know that they just did all those triple threat matches to work on getting a number one contender and and they did all these really cool things. I get it. I understand, but they did also a gauntlet eliminator. I think that's the thing that Kyle O'Reilly won. So they've done a lot of these things recently, but you're you're in a spot where you got to kind of get creative. And yeah, what they need to do, maybe a G1 Climax style round robin tournament, uh, 10 wrestlers, maybe bring in a couple people from WWE main roster, let them compete as part of the tournament, but ultimately not win it. And that's what you do. And by the way, This is another situation where, what did I talk about at TakeOver 31? I said Santos Escobar should have dropped the Cruiserweight title to Swerve. Why should he have done that? Because Santos Escobar could now be in the main event picture as well. But he stuck with the Cruiserweight title because they didn't want to take it off of him. So these are things. You have two main eventers holding a Cruiserweight title and a North American title while your main event scene is kind of blowing in the wind right now. These are fixes that they need to make and hopefully they do it at Halloween Havoc. Put that Cruiserweight title on the line again, have Swerve win. Easy fix. Move Santos Escobar into the main event. Done. Okay, Ember Moon, video package. Uh, Wrestling is all about accentuating the positives, right? And that's not what happened to Ember Moon when she made her debut two weeks ago, her return, I should say, two weeks ago on NXT. But it's exactly what this video package accomplished. Moon cut the type of promo she's clearly not able to do in front of a crowd, She not only put over herself as a big-time threat, but she put over NXT as an entire brand and the NXT women's division, which, as we've said, is the strongest women's division in all of professional wrestling right now. This was a big home run for me, this video package. It's how they should present her at all times, and if they want to keep her backstage and in videos like this and limit her live mic time, I am all for it. We also saw Jake Atlas defeat Ashanti V. Adonis. It's crazy how a name change and a look change can completely alter a perception of a wrestler. This was hardly a match, though. Legato del Fantasma distracted Adonis. There was a short attack until Atlas ultimately saved him. Then Isaiah Swerve Scott ran in to clearly set up a six-man tag team match next week. But I have no idea why they injected Atlas into the feud now and are going to the six-man tag team match when they could have just gone directly into the tag team match with Swerve and Adonis against the other two guys from Legato del Fantasma. So I don't get that. I also don't understand why it was necessary for Adonis to lose via distraction when he could have beaten Atlas and then Legato del Fantasma could have attacked him. Adonis is the new talent. He's the guy you're trying to get over as a new threat. And you're having him lose to a guy in Jake Atlas who got beat twice by Tommaso Ciampa. I know it's just a roll up. I know it didn't really matter much, but these are little things that could be done better. So I thought it was really weird booking 
for them to go in that direction. We had Rhea Ripley confront Raquel Gonzalez. This was good because Gonzalez was backstage cutting a promo on Ripley and was basically on the precipice of challenging her to a match at Halloween Havoc. Ripley overheard her talking shit, so they tried to start brawling. I think that NXT has done a really good job basically building up this feud slowly. And you have to be excited to see these two finally clash. It should happen at Halloween Havoc. And it should be an absolute banger. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> is that appropriate for a women's match? I hope it is. Big meaty women slapping meat. That's what we want to see in this match. Rhea Ripley, Raquel Gonzalez. This will be a banger. It will tear the house down whenever it happens. Incredibly excited that these two are going to square off. And hopefully it happens at Halloween Havoc. I believe it is happening at Halloween Havoc now that I think about it. My notes are old. I believe this match is happening at Halloween Havoc. So two great women's matches already and a North American Championship match. We saw the NXT US, we'll call it debut, I guess, of Tony Storm, even though she's been in Orlando wrestling before in the Mae Young Classic. Tony Storm defeated Aaliyah. This was a really impressive debut from Storm. Her entrance was fantastic and it totally fit the look of a star which is exactly what she's going to be. Tony Storm has it. I thought she was hinting in her vignette about tweaking her gimmick a little bit. But even though she didn't, she still looked like a million bucks. Storm is 24 years old, a 24-year-old piece of gold. She is going to be a major part of this next generation of women's stars. That includes Ripley, Dakota Kai, Shotzi, Blackheart, among others. There's not much to say about the match because it was short, but it was just such a good look for Tony Storm. The way the entrance looked, the way it sounded, the crowd's reaction to her. Her finisher, Storm Zero, is great. She can probably do it against 80% of women, but there's a couple where it probably won't work. So they're going to have to come up with a secondary finish for her. But she was great in NXT UK. She was awesome in the Mae Young Classic, especially Mae Young Classic 2. Go back and watch that if you have not. I can't speak its praises enough. But Tony Storm's going to be a star, and this was just the start of it. So great to see her over there. And then we also had Imperium defeat Killian Dane and Drake Maverick. This was a funny segment backstage with Maverick trying to create a brand for their tag team. The gimmick is really working for both of them, including the match opening with Dane using Maverick as a weapon and doing all the double team moves himself, like the shoulder block and stuff. That was just really funny, smart, good stuff. Dane got taken out at ringside, giving Imperium the opening did the Brain Buster and the Flying European Uppercut for the win. It would have made no sense for them to win, them being Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. So the loss was good. And it was also smart that they wanted to show them getting together. So they brought out Everrise to bully Drake Maverick only for Killian Dane to save him and then claim he's the only one who gets to beat up Maverick. Really funny stuff. We've talked about the tag team division in NXT being basically a black hole right now. There's not a lot of established tag teams. The ones that are there, we've seen extensively before, or they're only so exciting. We don't have a Street Profits or an American Alpha or a DIY. We don't have teams like that right now. And this is not going to be a team like that. This is a comedy team. I understand it. But at least they're trying to somewhat build the division. The Legado del Fantasma guys, They need to establish themselves as a tag team. If you're not going to put the Cruiserweight title on Swerve, Swerve and Adonis together, it would make sense for them as a tag team. But Swerve, again, is a single star. He should be going after the North American Championship. 
He should not be in the tag team right now. So, you know, the tag team picture is still a little weak, but the women's division strong. The mid card incredibly strong in NXT, but they do need to figure out the main event picture. And that's what I will be watching going forward. So that is our breakdown of everything that happened on AEW Dynamite and NXT. Next week, a quote unquote down week for both shows, a regular week for both shows is the best way to say it. And then following after that, we will get the NXT edition of Halloween Havoc for the first time ever two weeks from now. Very excited about that. Next week, we have an absolutely loaded slate for you here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On Tuesday, we will be back with our WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. We will then return Thursday to break down everything that happens in NXT and AEW. And then on Sunday, WWE Hell in a Cell Instant Analysis. There is plenty of wrestling still happening in this month. New Japan is rolling with G1 Climax 30. I have not had a second to watch it. It's crazy. I love the G1. I love New Japan. I just haven't had the time. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to catch up on the top 10 or top five matches and then watch the semifinals and the finals. But it just, there's so much wrestling and so little time right now. It's really difficult. But nevertheless, I'm excited with everything that's happening. I told you guys at the open of the show, we have some big stuff coming in November and December on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Not only the special episodes and all the cool stuff for longtime listeners, but the 100th episode of Getting Over. We will also have our year in review and our year end award show. There is so much wrestling audio coming your way. The best way to get it is to subscribe wherever you are listening to the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon. You can get us absolutely anywhere. But after you subscribe, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn show. Every rating and review helps bump us up the charts. We are in the top 45. I want to get into the top 40 and eventually the top 25 wrestling podcasts. That's where we need to be. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And if you want to follow me personally, hit me up at Silverstein Adam. Thank you all for listening to today's show. It was a lot of fun breaking down AEW and NXT for you. Chris Vanini will be back with me Tuesday for that WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. So that's the Silver King saying goodbye. It means there's only one more person left to see out of here. We got something going that's really big. Oh, yeah. Look at the horoscope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. We to the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And how cool has got the chance, does he? Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man? And thank you all for listening. Bye for now.